0: Hey, what's up guys? It's Jordan Callish here, back with another episode of the State Shifters podcast. Thank you for joining me as always and you know, here we are. We're still in uh, the midst of this coronavirus situation at the time of this recording and you know, I've been using this time as wisely as I can to really double down on on my own practices uh, but at the same time really reaching out and connecting with people uh, and having deep conversations and for those who know me, uh, you know, I speak so highly of the power and the the benefits of having deep meaningful conversations with the people around you and although this is a time of isolation it is not a time to disconnect and I want to emphasize that you know now is a time to connect even more connect with yourself even more but reach out and connect with others using social media as a tool for that and speaking of the connection you know I've, I've opened up space in my um, group coaching group for four more people who you know, if you're someone who wants to engage in more of a connected community where we go deep and discuss you know things that we're facing challenges that we're looking to overcome but more importantly shaping you know an identity that's going to be able to navigate the emotional roller coaster that life is then shoot me a dm uh, on instagram and write purpose and i'll send you more details around that group coaching program and in terms of today's conversation you know i've reached out to a fellow perth local uh, emily strange who has been on quite a remarkable journey over the last 12 to 24 months. Uh, And Emily's story was something that really resonated with me Uh, growing up here in Perth. I could relate to a lot of the things that she was going through and the struggle she was going through. And I know her story is going to inspire a lot of other people. So I wanted to give her a a platform to be able to share that. And uh, I'm excited for for you guys to listen uh, and If you do take something away from her or if you know someone who could resonate or connect with Emily's story, please please share this episode with him Um, because that's how we really spread the love. We share information with people who could benefit. Uh, So without further ado, enjoy the episode. If you have an insight, we'd love to hear from you. Much love, guys. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to the State Shifters podcast. A show dedicated to helping you discover your true potential through connecting the mind, body, and soul.
0: Okay, Emily Strange, thank you so much for joining me on the State Shifters podcast. It's a, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with me. Um, we're both from Perth. We're both Perth locals and I paths. I'm i sure we have mutual friends somewhere along the line, but I, yeah. we cross paths on Instagram just recently and I, I read your story and your article on, on the Medium uh, blog and truly was inspired and touched. I wanted to bring you onto the podcast and, and learn a little bit more about you know, this journey you've been on probably over the last 12 to 24 months. And I know your story is going to resonate and, and touch on a lot of people. But before we dive into that, maybe you want to give us a little introduction and, and what yeah, you're up yeah. to right now.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Jordan. I love the work you're doing, Um, so it's an honour to be on here with you. Um, At the moment, isolation, currently in trackies and uggies. (laughs) Um, Don't even know what day it is half the time. Um, But at the moment, I'm in the final stages of writing a memoir. Uh, So I've been writing a book to share my struggles and hopefully encourage other people to open up, which is not easy having to dive into those painful experiences again. But it's been so therapeutic. Um, I'm doing a meditation course so I can eventually teach that to other people. And um, yeah, just trying to get through isolation. But I'm loving it.
0: Yeah, I mean, for people who are listening to this right now, at the time of this recording, where we're in the middle of you know, the COVID crisis, we're in isolation, a lot of people in quarantine. And speaking of struggles, like this is a time when a lot of people are experiencing the depths. Of their own darkness or a collective darkness and it's people like yourself who have perhaps just come out of a really intense period of you know facing your own inner demons and you're you're really at a point now where you're ready to share this story to hopefully shed light on you know some really common issues that a lot of people face when it comes to dealing with their own shadow their own wounds um, and we all have our own coping mechanisms, but your, your coping mechanism in your case was, was alcohol and it really pulled you down yeah. in a spiral. So maybe do you want to tell us a little bit about how this started? Like how did you first
1: yeah. realise
0: that you, you, there was a bit of a problem starting to arise or a challenge?
1: And that's the thing. It's such a common thing, alcohol and drinking. And Australian society is a massive drinking culture, yet so many of us are struggling with Binge drinking and that depressive mood, suicidal thinking, and internally it feels like the whole world is against you when really it's actually so common and it's just so scary having to go against the norms. Um, But basically, I've always had that feeling of being different and not fitting in, and whether it was food, alcohol, toxic relationships, I was always chasing something to fill that void inside. And I was so insecure within me that I was just basically trying anything to fix that. And yeah, at first it was food, um, ended up getting an eating disorder, but we'll stick to the alcohol story today. (laughs) Um, Obviously, as school ended, we have that pressure of having to decide what we're doing with our life. And I didn't even know who I was or what I wanted to do. I was in a relationship then, going out drinking a lot, and it was just those weekends of binge drinking and I thought it was normal, just drinking to early hours in the morning, waking up super hungover and I thought the feelings of being suicidal, wanting to kill myself, not being able to be an adult for like three days, I thought that was normal, I thought that was a hangover. But as I got older, I was realising, hey, my friends don't get this sad and they're hungover. They just sort of eat junk food for the day and get on with their life, whereas I'm there. Yeah, just contemplating ending my life, most hangovers. Um, And it got to the point last year where I was severely depressed and I was very well aware of it. Uh, I went to the doctors and they prescribed me some antidepressant medication. And in that state, you aren't going to ask if your medication is going to increase your suicidal thinking. They just prescribe this medication and off you go. It's going to be happily ever after. The following few months, I realised my impulsive behaviour increased majorly. I was drinking a lot more. My suicidal thinking was a lot more frequent. And there was one night in particular where I was just so angry and upset within myself. I was um, in Broome and I I just remember crying on my floor drinking from the wine bottle. And I was feeling so lonely. So I ended up going out, thought I can't be by myself right now. But even then, being surrounded by a 100 so people, I felt so lonely. And the thought of just like, this is it. If I can't drink, if I can be surrounded by people and still feel so lonely, what is going to fix this? Like, I'm done. This medication isn't working. I'm trying to exercise. I have a full-time job, family that love me why am I so sad? And in that state, you don't really think about anything else but yourself. Alcoholism is a very selfish, ego-driven disease. And so that night I drove home and grabbed my medication, drove in blackout to the beach, took all of my tablets and police found me in the um, early hours of the morning on Cable Beach. I was rushed to hospital. And yeah, that um, that was really hard, waking up in hospital that morning. i didn't really have much memory of what had happened, but just seeing my sister's face just absolutely broke me and I could see how scared she was. And I knew that my only option was to stop drinking. Um, I, I didn't really have anything left in me to fight. But it was sort of that deeper knowing that there is another life out there. I don't have to live this way. And it's like, sounds a bit cringe, but like that soul whisper. And so I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I left hospital that day and sort of just carried on and didn't really go back to work for a few weeks. Um, But I started doing life coaching, working with a life coach, which really helped. And for the first two months of sobriety, it was sort of I quit because I thought I had to, something was wrong with me. And it was then two months later, my life coach said, Well, why don't you just be a moderate drinker and be a moderate drinker for five years? And I thought, oh my God, okay, if my life coach says that I can be a moderate drinker, then I so can. And what do I do? I go to be a moderate drinker um, and one drink turns into five drinks and I feel very quickly back into the trap of drinking. And it's not just one night, it's every single weekend for a good few weeks. And I don't go to work. I'm this very nasty, controlling person to be around. I'm just completely opposite of who I know I am. And the way they describe it in the recovery program is cunning, baffling and powerful. And that's what it was. I was trying to chase a power, but I was completely powerless over alcohol. And so, yeah, I fell back and relapsed. I was then listening to a um, podcast and they spoke about this recovery program. And I was like, I've never heard of this. And I found a meeting and I went to it. And for the first time ever, that's where I felt a huge sense of relief that, wow, I'm not the only person suffering from this. It was, it was quite hard to relate, though, because the people in the meeting, one guy was about 60 and he had 30 years of sobriety. The other two were probably about in their 40s and they had nine years sobriety. And even though we were all completely different people, we all had that one common thing that we were completely powerless over alcohol and our life was unmanageable. And so it was my first glimpse of hope. But again, I felt like I was the only 23-year-old in Australia, not drinking. It was a very lonely phase of my life and I went away from the recovery program, tried to do things my way again, trying to control what I was doing. And yeah, I had a night, I'm coming up to eight weeks sober now. I had a night um, back in February where I really hurt someone that I care a lot about and my alcohol yeah, really turned me into this nasty person and that was it. I, I never want to be that person again. And I basically just surrendered then and there. And I've been in recovery ever since. I'm working with Steps. I've got a sponsor. And this time, it's so different. I'm actually relying on a power higher than myself. And I'm choosing to be sober. It's not something now where I have to be sober. It's something my life basically depends on sobriety and I have felt so much peace since making that decision, and yeah, I just really want people to know that they aren't alone in this, and it's okay to go against the norm. I
0: mm, feel you. Thank mm. you for sharing that. Um, That's okay. We, we spoke offline. It does take a lot of courage to share a story where we've experienced a lot of a lot of pain. So I want to acknowledge you for for being able to share that with me. And Thank you. the reason why um, it. Your story resonated a lot with me was because you know as, a, as someone who's also grown up in Australia you know I understand the you know the drinking culture out here and
1: yeah, the pressure of it
0: yeah and and what what i what I admire the most about you is the fact that you've come out you know a young female which you, we usually hear these stories from you know older you know, yeah yeah exactly. later in their life and we, we rarely hear it from someone younger admit look I had a drinking problem and it, it was it pulled me down because like you said, it's normalized growing up as a mm. young 20-something-year-old kid in Australia. This it's- is
1: the prime time to be partying. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I remember when I was growing up, you know, 18, 19, 20, every weekend just just smashing alcohol down. I like, mm. remember like ridiculous amounts, like binge drinking, having vodka, four Red Bulls in a night with, with polishing <laughs> yeah. vodka. And I look back on it now and thought that that was, that was a problem that was that was a serious health concern that i i do remember as well waking but it's up it's normal hey it's normal yeah because everyone else is doing it yeah so you, what you're doing here is you're shedding light on a, on a really big problem that's going mm-hmm. around right now because it's it's not normal it shouldn't be i don't be
1: think people like around. to admit that it's not normal either
0: totally and you know we say alcohol because i've just come back from canada and i've observed since arriving back in australia our when we fall back on is alcohol like everyone seems to every, drink.
1: Every occasion.
0: Every occasion. Most people. So bad. Yeah, they struggle to have a good time without having a drink. Um, and I'm sure people who are listening to this, whether you're in Australia, North America, wherever, we all have our coping mechanism, the thing we fall back on. For some people, it's work. Some people are just obsessed over, they stay busy all the time and keep working. And that's what I noticed it was in Toronto. Everyone has this busy mentality where they've got to stay busy all the time because if they're left alone, we're well,
1: so scared yep. of ourselves.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, to come out now and admit that, yeah, alcohol was something you were using to hide from an emotional pain or, a, a, like you said, a void that was in there that you, know, you were trying to find something outside of you to fill this void and eventually you run out of options. You're like, this is, you know, I'm tr- I've tried everything. Why, why aren't
1: like we're forgotten as a society how to go out and actually mingle with each other just for who we are. It's like we have to put... I think of alcohol as like a protection around who we are. It's like we're scared to really show who we are and be seen.
0: 100%. And now
1: I'm having to like relearn how to do that. And even going out, it's a good time to be sober because we can't go out. (laughs) But I did do New Year's sober this year and I had an emotional hangover the next day because you're against all these people who are drinking and on drugs and they have so much energy and you have to try uphold that and it's draining. It really is draining sometimes.
0: Emily, I'll be honest with you. I, I just got back in December, mid December. I got back from Canada after being away for a couple of years. And I went out for the first time on New Year's, New year's Eve here in, here in Australia. And I was sober as well. I went out sober. And I was honestly a little bit traumatized by <laughs> what I experienced, just seeing the state that other people around me were in. And, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, damn, if I was a tourist or someone visiting this country, seeing how obliterated these people were at this event, it was traumatizing for me. And, and it really, it got me thinking, it's like, wow. Is that why do I, I ever was?
1: want to go out?
0: Yeah. Was I that person three years ago, just stumbling around? Yeah, like we were. <laughs> denseless, yeah. So I know if people are listening to this, I know we've all, we know of someone or we've experienced alcohol abuse in our life because alcohol, you know, it sort of is the main drug out there right now. Mm. And what I, what my intention is to help people see that underneath the alcohol abuse is a part of us that's seeking love and connection. And the minute you often notice a lot lot of the quiet people who will have a few drinks, all of a sudden they're nice and loud and they're Um, expressive. It's because they then feel comfortable sharing who they truly are because there's like temporary. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. There's layers that these identities that stop us from really being our true self because we're afraid we're going to get judged. We're afraid we're not going to be, seen as worthy of love so it is it is a sort of an unraveling process when you stop drinking i'm sure you've noticed a lot of your insecurities anxieties will come to the surface especially in social mm-hmm. in social settings i'm curious to know what what have you noticed come up for you throughout this uh, sober process and congratulations on being 8 weeks sober that's amazing Thanks. what what have you noticed come up maybe in some social settings or events or family events that you've attended where people are, other people are drinking and now you're not
1: Yeah, it's um, my first attempt at sobriety. I honestly hated it. I found it extremely difficult. And one thing I've learned is it so depends who you are around. And I've really had a change of friendships and people I hang around since being sober. The people who are my true friends, they completely get it and they never force me to drink. They um, always have drinks ready that are non-alcoholic and I love them so much for that. But in Broome, there were times where I was going out and people knew how important not drinking was for me. And I wasn't strong enough at that stage to like, be confident in who I was and what I was doing because it was all very new. And I wasn't drinking at that stage because I thought, this is just temporary. I'm going to be a normal drinker soon. And I was probably about two months over in Broome and we we're going out and I was adamant on not drinking, but I was getting so much crap from people for being boring, not wanting to drink. And what do I know? 15 minutes later, I'm doing shots. (laughs) Mm. So I found that really hard at the start, but I'm having a completely different experience now. And just like anything in life, it's a journey. And yeah, I've just been growing and learning through it. And now I'm just becoming so confident in this new life that I want, that alcohol just doesn't even exist in this life. And it doesn't even faze me. Um, And in recovery, I am so lucky that the obsession for alcohol was removed very quickly. Um, A lot of people, a lot of alcoholics um, really struggle with that, that obsession, like needing to pick up a drink and not being okay with their emotions. Um, And for a few weeks, I admit in isolation, I was turning to food to fill that void. But yeah, it's just really about asking yourself empowering questions like, is this the person I want to be? And there have been times during socialising where I have felt a bit uncomfortable with people drinking, but then I just have to turn that away from my ego and be of service. So, you know, see if um, they need help with the dishes or cleaning up and it's sort of like distracting myself from that ego-driven mind and also removing myself from feeling uncomfortable. Um, So, yeah, it's about more how can I be of service to people um, and the focus is taken away from me, um, like I said, it's a very selfish disease and it's very yeah, ego-driven and you think it's all about me, like it's either like this is so depressing or look at me, like I'm so great, whereas now in sobriety I'm learning we're actually all equals and we're here to like empower each other, not compete and I think that's why I'm so passionate about sharing my story because we all get on like our high horses and just try to be better than each other. And it's like, let's just help each other.
0: Mm. It seems like you're going through some really rapid growth.
1: I can't (laughs) keep up. I'm like, (laughs) well,
0: and could you pinpoint it down to what is the core wound that's coming up or core unprocessed emotion that is coming up throughout this sobriety process? Because, you know, Sometimes we resort to alcohol to mask us having to feel the pain of maybe not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a mixture of everything, basically. Mm-hmm. Like It's like black and white. Alcoholism is black and white. It's either like, – it's just one extreme to the other. There's no in-between. And I think that's what I'm struggling with. Um, I rang my sponsor today and I was like, is it normal to be feeling okay today? I just – I was out in the sun and I was just – so at peace, I was like, Am I, I'm not used to that feeling at all. Yeah. It's either like really, really happy or really, really sad. And now it's just contentment. And the thing that is coming up is that lack of self-worth and needing validation and that lack of connection. But the biggest thing um, about recovery and sobriety is being connected to like this, they call it the sunlight of the spirit. So putting our faith into the universe, a power higher than ourselves, or God, whatever it is to you, rather than relying on other people and external things, and it's it's really comforting knowing that there is a power greater than ourselves, and it's only when I've turned my will to that that I've been able to stay sober and find peace.
0: Mm. Well, yeah, again, same with me. Everything changed mm. when I touched on like my own, my own spirituality what was it that i believed that was greater than than me that i could have faith and trust in you know mm. that once you kind of turn your life into a spiritual journey you realize that you're a spiritual being having a human experience you, you can kind of step back a little bit from all these patterns and all these behaviors that disconnect you from the unity the oneness like you said before it's like you
1: know? um i try to think of it, like you become the observer of your yeah. life and like doing life on life's terms rather than constantly trying to control everything. And I was always letting other people upset me and it was always their fault and everything was unfair. The world's against me. And now it's just sort of living in acceptance, like being okay with what's happening right now. And I'm so passionate as well about sharing that spiritual side because Again, there's that ideal that spiritual living is hippies and fairies and go smoke weed. Mm. <laughs> when really, it's just about finding that peace within you and being able to sit in stillness and yeah, stop fighting what's going on.
0: Well said. Well said. Uh, for a lot of people who uh, perhaps struggling with an addiction of one, one form. And the addiction doesn't just have to be out. The addiction could be anything. The addiction could be to food, could be to social media, watching TV, gossiping, smoking, whatever the addiction is. Especially
1: now. I'm sure so many addictions are coming out.
0: Especially now. Yeah. Would you say the first step is sort of acknowledging that? Yes, I'm addicted. I have a coping mechanism. I'm running from something.
1: Yeah.
0: Because without that acknowledgement, you kind of, you're in denial a little bit. And, then, and, then, and the addiction has control of you.
1: Yeah, it's like you you know you're addicted to something, but you're allowing it to keep happening. And I think so many people struggle with that. They think they're not in control. And to some degree, they're not. But it's when they admit that they are struggling, that they do have this problem, they can take their power back. And what I realised, and I, I tried for years to do this, I thought someone could fix me. And I was trying all these different things. And it's only when I admitted that I needed help and I owned up, I took responsibility, I had to fix myself, I had to do the work, I have to get up at 5am if that's what it takes and meditate and go for a run and I'm I'm not going to get better just by sitting here, if Mm. that makes sense.
0: In your opinion, how could someone determine if they do have an addiction or if they are relying on something outside of them? Yeah,
1: Um, what I've learned in recovery is you can only self-diagnose. And I think if you are addicted to something and it's causing you anxiety and problems, then there's no doubt you're addicted. And I heard something, if you can't go longer than three days without something, then you're addicted. Hmm. And even if it's on your mind thinking, Oh, I want to stop this. I want to cut it down. There's very high chance you're addicted.
0: Yeah. It's funny. You should say that, you know, at the moment, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in the back end of a three day, uh, sugar cleanse like i've cut out sugar for three days yeah because i noticed there was like a lot of sugar just creeping into my life and i tried to do it with my parents as well uh, and i didn't make it my dad didn't make it he pulled out he's like oh, no, i can't do it can't do it couldn't last three days without sugar that's an addiction you
1: know? oh 100 that's the thing though like none of us are perfect and i did um the juice cleanse um that valerie often talks about the press protein and it was amazing and i thought Okay. After this, I'm not having caffeine ever again, and literally, I've had coffee every day since. <laughs> and that's the thing about like life, recovery, whatever it is you're going through. It's about aiming for spiritual progress, not perfection, because none mm. of us are perfect.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah, I and love it that. really takes away that pressure. Big time. Uh, and just yeah, accepting. Okay, this is what's happening right now. And stop dwelling about it, just accepting it. Acceptance is a big, big thing.
0: So, if someone acknowledges they have an addiction, whether it be to smoking, drinking, food, sugar, whatever, they go, Right, I have an addiction. I wanna remove this addiction from my life. Do they go cold turkey and just like remove it? Like, I'm done. I'm done with smoking. I'm done with alcohol. And they just try and stop completely. Or do you suggest people start to maybe wean off it a little bit? Um, and start to experiment with what comes up when they take breaks from... from- yeah,
1: um, I can only speak from experience with alcoholism and what I've learned about that emotional nature is I can't do it on my own. I can't abstain abstinence with my own self-will right. because basically I've been trying to do this for years and it hasn't worked. It's only when I've acknowledged that I'm powerless and I've connected with people who get it And start opening up and being brutally honest. um, You aren't going to get better if you can't get honest with yourself. Like you have to call yourself out on your own bullshit. Mm. And so it depends what it is. For alcohol, there is recovery groups. um, And so much power comes from talking with people who get it. And for the first time ever, I don't feel lonely. I feel so connected to people, so connected to myself, to my higher power. Yeah, you can't do it alone, basically. And it that's the main thing. Like, it's okay to admit you're not okay because that's how you're going to get better.
0: 100%. The minute, you, the minute you take ownership and responsibility and admit, yep, okay, I'm, I'm struggling here. I, I need the next it's step.
1: it's so is asking scary.
0: For help. Yeah. It's so 100%. scary. 100%. Uh, oftentimes, especially for men, I, I, you know, I won't generalize, but mainly men struggle asking for help. You know, I've, I've noticed in what I've observed because that mask of masculinity that, Men sometimes where admit like alcohol is sort of like that sign of, oh, I'm good. I don't, I don't need help. But mm. Underneath that, there usually is a painful, scared child in there that just wants love and attention.
1: And, and that's why I think it's so important. That's why we have to have these conversations because I find that there's a huge gap between admitting something's wrong and we need help and actually getting help. There needs to be something in between, and I wish I had the answer. But I think what we're doing by sharing our struggles is going to be a stepping stone to building that bridge. Um, 100% agree.
0: Because
1: the medical world and doctors, as they're trying their best, but they can only go off research and the clinical side of things. It doesn't take into account our mind, body, and spirit. It's just... This is one way.
0: Correct. Yeah. Mm. The the kind of the diagnosis from doctors is here. You you have a problem. You have Mm. depression. Take these drugs. But that's only addressing the symptoms. And it's it's not not
1: getting to those underlying causes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's nothing against the doctors. They're doing the best they can. Physicians and health experts are doing the best they can by the book. But sometimes by the book right now isn't giving us the underlying, like getting us to the truth.
1: Especially right now, like with what's going on in life. But I feel that this is actually going to have like profound shifts for the way we live. I hope so anyway. Yep. 100%. And it's really, yeah, telling people to slow the F down and look within. I think everyone has needed this. And I say that carefully because I know that a lot of people have died from this. But that's where we have the opportunity to make the best out of a worse situation and do the things that we finally want to do, be the person that we know we can be. And just, yeah, admitting that we're not okay and Mm. doing the things that we know we need to do to be okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Uh, I'm curious to know, has there been um, a practice or something you've adopted along this uh, process that has given you a sense of uh, connection or has allowed you to kind of move through the, the pain a little a little easier what, what what has yeah what has maybe given you the most support along this journey a specific practice book technique yeah, yeah what can
1: you say um about? there's probably four main things that have helped me and they all sort of I, if i don't do one without the other it doesn't really work i sort of need a balance and that's the same with life in general you need a balance of things so at the moment i wake up and i do a meditation and i love that you meditate for an hour but Again, I was sharing all these meditation tips and I was like, well, I'm not even doing it myself. So I've really had to go back to basics again Um, and I've sort of taken a few steps back in my meditation journey. Um, I'm only back to meditating for 10 minutes because I really lost that concentration and the ability to focus. But yeah, sitting down, allowing myself to be in stillness has really helped me become the observer of my thoughts rather than reacting on them um, and having this real calming sense of peace within me. And I still get really emotional. I still have breakdowns every week, but meditation is helping me just realize that this too shall pass. And I have that tool to, if I do have the ability to just zone out for a minute, I know that I can go sit in stillness. Um, Another one would be calling people who get it. Um, So my people in recovery, even friends, like, Just having that pause in between what I'm about to do. So say if it's I want to go pick up a drink or go binge on chocolate or go do something stupid, I don't know, whatever it is, (laughs) I always find something. Picking up the phone and calling someone I trust and someone who gets it has helped a lot. And more often than not, they will say something and it's a message that I needed to hear but I didn't even know I needed to hear. And it takes away that ego and that self-driven mind. Um, another one is exercise, moving my body every day. And even that, I I'm so bad at adapting to change and I think we all struggle to adapt to change. My exercise has been so out of whack during this isolation. And yeah, that alone is just sometimes gets you angry. <laughs> yep. But I've been yeah, I've just been trying to do what I can. So I've been stretching and getting down to the beach, out in nature most days, that really helps being near the water or out in open space. And another one is journaling. I find that writing down my thoughts, especially in an emotional state, it sort of takes it out of my head, puts it onto paper. And it's like, I can just read it and observe it. And I don't often read it again. It's just like offloading. If I don't feel that I can tell someone about it. And I've even started practicing writing a letter to God Mm -hmm. and whatever that is to someone, like the universe. Yeah. And I've been doing that most mornings and it's actually from a book called the path to wealth. Have you heard of that one? No. Oh, it's really good. And it's um, seven spiritual steps to financial wealth. Um, And it's about having this gratitude letter practice where you write a letter. um, You thank the universe for three things you're grateful for now, because it's really important with manifestation and stuff to be in the moment as well. So being grateful for what we do have right now. And then in the letter, you write three things. You're you're wanting or trying to call in but you write it in the sense that you've already got it Um, and then you just sort of let it go and get on with your day. Um, And it's just a really nice way of connecting with your higher power and it's sort of like, I know, when you're a little kid and you believe in Santa or something, it's like Mm. a bit of a fairy tale, a bit of magic. So they're probably the four main things that help me at the moment.
0: Yeah, wow. I, I completely resonate with all of them. Yeah, I find it's sort of like a toolkit. You know, I find myself whenever I'm going through a, a rough day or some emotions are coming up that you know I'm in resistance to. I look at my toolkit and I go, okay, what, what do I what need? What I use today? Yeah, yeah, what do I need right now? And some days I will meditate. I will, you know, I'll go out in nature. I'll go for a walk. I'll do all the right things, and I'm still like, fuck! I'm still not. I still feel mm. off. I feel off today. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And in those days my the thing that i'm learning is it's okay
1: yeah it's so okay to have shit days is, yeah
0: you know and um I, i'm i'm someone who who's very i i get very hard on myself To have that tendency mm. my, my my one of my patterns is to just like think that i'm not doing enough i should be working harder
1: perfectionism yeah
0: yeah and um, yeah, sort of my lesson in that is, you know, especially during this quarantine period when we're in isolation, like you said, exercise has been a big challenge for a lot of people right now. And I'm finding some struggles with that too. And just acknowledging that, yeah, look, we're going to have ups, we're going to have downs. And it's a part of the human experience. And sometimes you can think you're doing all the right things and still mm. just feel off for no and apparent for people, reason. Yeah.
1: yeah, for people listening who are probably in the like with an addiction right now, I just want to tell people, we're not talking about this to overwhelm them. Yeah. It's just about implementing small things every day rather than trying to drastically change your life overnight. So that's something I used to think that, Oh my God, I have to make my life perfect now that I've admitted that I'm not okay. Mm. And you sort of expect things to happen overnight, but it's not, it's a very slow <laughs> process. So that's where you need a lot of patience and compassion for yourself.
0: Definitely. And momentum's a powerful thing. Like mm. Once you make a small little commitment to yourself, whether it be journaling for five minutes or just a 10 minute meditation. Yeah, every start day. Small. small and once you gather that momentum it's uh it's really powerful you know you start to move the needle forward a little bit you start to notice a shift in how you're feeling and
1: you get those little moments where you're like wow like my life is actually changing (laughs) yeah i feel good
0: exactly and you know i've noticed at times where the better you get at that self-awareness piece checking in with okay what do i what do i need right now and sometimes you know, I'll notice if I haven't exercised during the day, I could have meditated, I've could have journaled and done all the right things, but if I haven't moved my body, I don't feel my best. Mm. And it's simple. And then I give That's my right. body that piece of movement and I'm like, wow, there there it is, I'm back.
1: Mm.
0: You know? So it's important to find that that nice balance of just like knowing what it is that your body needs. And
1: a lot of the time it's, um, I find, it's not looking at what you're doing, it's looking at what you're not doing. That's how right. I'm getting through my recovery.
0: Because right.
1: you could be doing a lot of things, but it could just be that one thing you're not doing.
0: Yeah, really and good point.
1: Having that perspective has really like opened my eyes and thought, okay, it's not that hard. I just need to do this one thing today.
0: Really good point. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll, create it. I'll create an invitation for people who are listening you know, to, to do that. Really take the time to think about, okay, what, what am I not doing right now? Maybe if we're at home, you know, we're watching, watching TV or we're just taking the time to chill because we can't go to work we like, what are the things that we're not doing right now that if we inserted it into our day, regardless of how much time we have at home, if we started to do these one little things, whether it meditate for 10 minutes, what would the impact be on how we feel and the decisions we make going forward from that one decision? So like, uh, yeah, I would invite people to reflect on that. Yeah. You know, and it really,
1: looking at it that way, it takes a lot of the pressure off to make those small changes um, and it makes it very doable. Like. Living a spiritual life, the most spiritual thing I have ever done is learn to love myself mm. it's a very practical thing to do, and I think often people get mistaken that living spiritually is meditating for two hours a day or writing a hundred pages of journal stuff every day yeah. but its yeah it 's just little practices that help you to love yourself
0: great point. great point Emily, like you've shared a lot of wisdom in this episode, and I know
1: the, it did go a
0: bit off track. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, this has been, this has been perfect because I know the right people, like the, the, the greatest thing about sharing content and sharing your story, whether it be on social media or podcasts, the right person always somehow finds it. Mm. The right person will always they find exactly what they need to hear. Yeah. So I have complete faith and trust that this interview or this recording will be received by someone who need that, mm-hmm. that last little push. Um, so I just want to thank you for um, being courageous and, and really showing up and, and sharing with me, you know, what you've learned along this journey as, it, as you continue to evolve into the best version of yourself, as we all are, you know, none of us are perfect, but we're doing we're our best. We're all in
1: this together.
0: Exactly. hundred percent, mate. Is there anything you wanted to leave people with before we wrap things up?
1: No, not really. I just, I just want people to start opening up and be confident in who you are because there's only one you and that is your power.
0: Love it. Uh, and where can people connect with you online are you on Inst- you're on instagram i know yeah, that
1: yeah. Um, i'm on instagram it's emily e-m-i-l-y-y strange s-t-r-a-n-g underscore and my blog is on there as well i think
0: and i highly suggest and encourage people to read that it was a very yeah. powerful read so em thanks so much for joining me oh cool.
1: thanks jordan enjoy the rest of your pleasure. day Cheers, bye man.
0: Hey, there we have it, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And yeah, look, if you made it this far, cool. Here's my voice again in your ear. And I'm going to make one more request for you is go ahead and subscribe and leave a comment on the podcast page because I'm really putting a lot of focus and attention on getting this podcast out to more people because I know what I'm putting in here can serve and bring value to people. And it would mean a lot if you got value from this to to leave some feedback and, and subscribe so you stay up to date with what's coming up. Um, and as always, follow me on Instagram. And I love hearing from you. It's at State Shifters. And until the next episode, guys, thank you so much. And I appreciate you.